Hey everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. I am grateful for you listening to the 44th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. 44 uh, is how old Nolan Ryan was when he threw his seventh no-hitter. The fact that this sentence is true is just absurd. Like, 44? Um, That is older than five big league managers right now. Uh, When when Nolan Ryan threw that no-hitter, he was in his 25th big league season. Uh, Shane Bieber who won the Cy Young Award last year, is 25 years old. Just uh, Nolan Ryan, age 44, listen to this, age 44 and in his 25th big league season, he pitched 173 innings. He led the league, fewest hits and base runners allowed per nine, most strikeouts per nine. Uh, just absolutely absurd. I, I've been thinking a lot this week about the sort of just awe of sports if you'll allow me to butcher the language a little bit um and there's a lot of reasons for this and uh, we're going to get into them as soon as you let me do my little spiel here and that my friends is what they call a tease in the business that is a tease anyway here we go the spiel the goal always to be worth your time uh we have a great run of questions this week about andrew benintendi and what the royals need to do next as well as the chief's immediate future and whether what we're seeing right now with russell wilson in seattle can happen with patrick Mahomes here bonus segment we'll have some audio from royals manager mike matheny as the 2021 royals begin to gather officially for the first time the star is running a special promotion for the Sports Pass right now. Dollar a month for three months for all of our sports coverage, including more original Chiefs and Royals content than you can find anywhere else. You can find that on our website, or it's probably just easier. Just reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I will send you the link. I appreciate all of you who have listened and offered some great feedback and and written in asking for the subscription link. Your support means everything to me and the people I work with, so thank you. Um, Okay, so like I said, I've been spending a lot of time this week just thinking about sort of like the best parts of sports, like what at least I fell in love with sports about and what I think, what I assume a lot of you fell in love with sports about. You know, some is personal, right? Like, I don't know anyone who regularly got more pure joy from sports than my dear friend, uh, Therese Paylor. Like, I, I don't know how many times we laugh together about just the subtle disrespect of a pitcher who thinks he just got squeezed, just staring in at the home plate umpire and like spitting or grabbing himself or whatever. You know, the, the favorite, uh, the one that we probably laughed about the most is just the, the irrational confidence part of a cornerback, you know, biting on a double move or whatever. But then when his wide open man is over thrown and the ball goes incomplete just doing that exaggerated incomplete motion with his arms nobody was better at that than sean smith by the way but you know some of this is personal Uh, you know like when i left for the office this morning right like one of our kids was like going through his card collection and he was holding like the mccall hardman jersey card that he got in a pack a while back and you know i asked him why and he he's like i just like to feel the jersey uh which i just thought was such a pure cool thing for him to say his birthday is next week um actually and he doesn't know this but i just bought him a a bo jackson jersey card and he'll love it because i've completely brainwashed him you know some of it's professional though too like you know i know the chief season didn't end the way that most of you wanted right but i still found myself i don't know if you guys did this or have done it or will ever do it but 
I still found myself like just knee deep in those, you know, those NFL films breakdowns, especially the mic'd up episode. Those are just so dang fun. Like just you really get to feel, you know, the speed and emotion that pro football games are played with with those. You know, I'm also in the process of of booking a few days in surprise for, for spring training and, you know, probably more than anything else that I am lucky to do with this job. Going to spring training just like melts me into a kid. I love all the corny parts about it, right? Um, it, it is the mile marker about spring and summer coming, you know, the optimism that is in every spring training camp, the simplicity. You know, I am, it, at least technically, um, I'm a grown adult and I get like actual real goosebumps the first time that I hear BP. I just like, I don't know you guys, like again, I'm, I'm well aware that I can get corny, right? And and if there are times that that part of me turns into writing like too optimistic or whatever, then that just needs to be part of what you get from me. But this stuff has like really been hitting lately because, you know, those best parts of sports are coming back. They've been gone for so long and they're coming back like slowly and, you know, we're not going to get fully back there for a while, right? But you can see the progress, right? Like people are getting vaccines and and more are on the way. And, you know, case numbers are generally dropping, at least in and around Kansas City. I know that that can turn around quickly, but that's where we are right now. And I I don't know if it's just mental or, you know, maybe it just feels better to get out of the house the last week or two when it's been like so damn cold. But, uh, you know, things just feel a little bit better than even a month ago. And, you know, the last few days I've actually looked at, and this is stupid for a lot of reasons for me, but (laughs) including like my work, like I don't, anyway, uh, but I've actually, I've started to look at like partial Royal season tickets and uh, we're not going to get them. Right. But it just feels good to think about going to games again. I don't know what any of that will look like, obviously, but like the idea of May, Maybe again, like maybe being able to play catch in the parking lot with the kids and, you know, bring a pizza or some sandwiches out and then, you know, like walk in and enjoy actual baseball happening right there in front of us. I mean, like, <laughs> I just I can't wait. Like the, the, the helmet tachos will just be an unnecessary bonus um, if we're able to do that this summer. Uh, you know, we're, we're getting closer, you guys. I know slowly and all that, but it's happening. I can feel it. And when I say that, I mean, like, that's what this is all about for me. And I know a lot of you to feel it, right? Like that's sports at their best. And that's, you know, when they make us feel. And, you know, that may have been my favorite part of my friendship with Therese. Like he, he made me feel things like, you know, that's my favorite part of seeing my kids show signs that they like sports. Like I know that they'll be able to feel those same things in their own different way. But those same things that made me fall for this whole enterprise when I was a kid. You know, and that's why I'm so psyched about baseball, really. Like and, and would be even if I didn't think this was the most interesting Royals team in four years, because, you know, if we're vaccinated by summer, like think of everything that comes with that. Like maybe not quite like normalcy or whatever we call the world before March 12th of last year. But, you know, a little closer, right? A little more feeling. You guys, like, um, I I am well aware. You've heard me say this maybe too many times, um, but I'm well aware how lucky I I have been in general and in particular this last year. But I really do think this sort of like slow reopening or whatever you want to call what the world will be doing over the next months. Like, I I really do think it's going to give a lot of us like even a, a renewed sense of, you know, joy and appreciation and just energy. Right. Like, am I just being like, am I being crazy here? Um, I don't think I am, but I don't know. I, <laughs> I did say that I, I tend to park it uh, at optimism. Right. Unless I move the other way. So anyway, take it for take all that for what it's worth. But I'm pumped, you guys. I, I just I feel good about things. 
Okay, before we move on to the rest of the show, this podcast is free, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall. Uh, We work hard to bring you information and perspectives that you can't get in other places. We have the most journalists working the Chiefs beat, the most combined experience around the team, the most perspectives. You know, please help support us by giving the Sports Pass a try. Uh, Again, you can join for a dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. You can find those links online uh, or reach out to me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I'll send them along. Okay, quick break. And then we are back with some questions. If you want to participate in next week's show, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone. Call anytime, 816-234-4365. Or, as the great reader Michael points out, 816-BEG-IDLE. Brandon, uh, calling from Carney, calling about the Royals. Uh, I'm actually from the, the Royals Roast podcast, and I'm just looking for a reason to feel good about Ben Attenity. I, I mean, Ben Attenity, you know, after the season he had last year, and it's a park downgrade. I mean, I can, I see some different, uh, you know, commentators who are really excited about the, the trade, but I'm just not seeing. I guess it's just the upside. It's kind of what we're what we're hoping for here. Um, I don't know. So, I'd like your thoughts on that. It's a smart and fair question uh, about a guy with an adjusted OPS that's only 7% better than the league average. Um, you know, Ben Intendi, he, he is not a franchise cornerstone, right? Like, he's not a guy that you will win championships by building around. But I do think he's a damn good player. And if you want some reasons to be optimistic, let's start with the talent. Like, that's where it always starts, right? Like, he has loads of it. Um, you know, he was drafted seventh overall in 2015. Um, he was, you know, a few years back, the, the top prospect in all of baseball, um, you know, and if you go back and look at that draft, um, he's the best player taken in the first round, um, other than Alex Bregman, who went second overall. So, you know, he, he's got more than 2000 big league plate appearances say he can produ- produce at this level. Um, he turns 27 in July. So, you know, at least in theory, the Royals should be getting two of his best years uh, of his career b- before he's scheduled for free agency. And um, I'm actually a little bit surprised, to be honest with you, like how down some people seem to be on him. Like he basically missed all of last season. Like I hear people say like, you know, well, he only hit 103 last year or whatever. But guys, that was 14 games and he was like playing through an injury even. So I just don't know why we would think that that's the stronger indication of who he is than the four years of production that came before it. You know what I mean? So, look, I believe in athlete motivation and he should have tons of it. You know, not just to sort of bury last last year's struggles, but, you know, to show the world what kind of player he is and to do it, you know, in the two years that will determine just how much money he makes the rest of his career. Um, you know, baseball players, they can always explain away struggles. Um, you know, that is uh, I don't mean that as a, a criticism. That is a necessary trait uh, because, you know, it's a cliche to say that baseball is a game of failure, but it's a cliche because it's true. And, and the way to survive a game of failure is to stay positive, um, you know, but Ben Intendi, so all that said, but Ben Intendi's explanation, it does make logical sense. And it follows what scouts, you know, saw in him on their own from from 2018, which was his best season to 2019 when he was merely merely okay. So, you know, the guy tried to bulk up a bit, change his swing path, chase home runs um, like a lot of guys have in baseball, and it turned him into a worse player. 
strikeouts jumped, um, his walks dipped, and you know actually so did his power. So um, if, if he's in a good mental space, and the Royals would not have done this deal if they didn't believe that that was the case. But if he's in a good mental space, um, you know if he's emotionally right, then he can be a central part of what the Royals do over the next two years. So um, I'd also say this: I, I don't think the Royals gave up a lot. Um, you know, like we still need to see who the players to be named later are. Uh, although importantly, I'm told that neither will come from the, you know, that top shelf of pitching prospects that the Royals have. But, you know, unless the Royals are giving up a lot there, like this is basically a little more certainty and production than they could have reasonably expected from Franchi Cordero. So, you know, look, Khalil Lee, I know that's a name that we're all familiar with over the last few years. And, and he could be a good player at some point, but I don't know anyone who expects him to be a star and, you know, there's a lot of swing and miss there, um, not a lot of power, which, you know, that's a bad profile for anything more than like a fourth outfielder. So um, I, I guess what I'm saying is this, like the, the Royals didn't solve all their problems, you know, by trading for Andrew Benintendi. Like, you know, they still have holes to fill. And there's a column on the website now that, that goes into this a little bit more. And we will continue to talk about those, you know, here and in other places. But the Royals got better. Um, they got better by trading for him and they got better throughout the offseason. And, you know, they, they did it in a way that is just really consistent to who they want to be. You know, like those are deals you make. Um, so, OK, um, this is a good question to follow. This is Ken asking, you know, sort of what the next step needs to be for the Royals. Hi, Sam. It's Cam from Lee Summit, Missouri. Question for you for the podcast is what do the Royals need to do in order to really make themselves competitive and worthwhile in terms of investing in this season. Thanks. Yeah, so, like, I, I think the front office would probably tell you that that's what they're trying to figure out this season. Um, you know, they expect this group to compete, but I don't think they expect this to be the exact group that will win a championship. Um, does that make sense? So, like, they need to keep their eyes on some things. Like, they need to see, um, you know, can Nicky Lopez be a big league hitter? Um, that is a question that does not have an answer yet. Um, they need to see if Michael Taylor can hit enough to make that defense shine. Um, they need to see how well Salvador Perez follows a big offensive year. Um, how well Carlos Santana ages. They need to see which pitchers break out. And, you know, to be honest, like, I'm not trying to do the big pun but <laughs> which players break down because uh, that happens too so uh, they need to see uh, Montessi take that step you know to show that you know, he had a really weird 2020 season um, you know that that last month or so he was arguably the best player in baseball you know I, you can make a sound argument with statistics he was the best player in baseball over the last month which was great because before that he was arguably the worst hitter in baseball. Um, I mean, just a, an incredible turnaround. And, you know, of all the reasons that I wish they played 162 last year instead of 60, uh, you know, being able to see what he would have done with those extra 102 games or whatever um, is right there at the top of the list. So, you know, the Royals are in relatively good shape here as far as like, you know, which pieces need to be improved, what they need to go get. Because, you know, that abundance of pitching, that gives them some versatility if they end up needing to make a trade. Um, you know, everybody can use pitching, right? So if, if you're asking me what I expect to happen, um, I expect the Royals to be improved, uh, but still not at a level to win the AL Central, which is just loaded. You know, I think the Royals could be in a position to have sort of a, you know, playoffs or bust season in 22. 
at which point, you know, their best lineup might be with Whit Merrifield at second base and, you know, Kyle Isbell or free agent, you know, replacing him in the outfield. Um, you know, they're further away with the bats than the arms. So they need to hit on Isbell and Mateus and, 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 and some other guys. Um, and they probably still need to be ready to add something. So they're building something real here. Um, I, I do believe that. But there are always unexpected setbacks. And, you know, that the Royals are doing this again from the AL Central, it raises the degree of difficulty a little bit. So, okay, uh, we're going to hit more Royal stuff in the third section. So let's do a couple Chiefs questions. First up is Steven. Hi, Sam. Uh, my name is Steven. I just wanted to call with a question. I'm also from Topeka. Uh, I wanted to call for a question about kind of the offseason um, for the Kansas City Chiefs, do you think that they will go out and sign Jason Kelsey? Um, and what do you think the chances are of Mitchell Schwartz coming back next year healthy based on what he put in that recent Instagram post a couple days ago? Um, and also, big hugs for you and the guys there at the beat. Big hugs. Thank you. I, I- I appreciate that. Um, truly. Thank you. As, as for the question, you know, that's the chief's top priority, right? Um, it has to be. And again, um, I mentioned the Royals column earlier. There's a there's a chief's column uh, on, that should be up on the website by the time you listen to this. And I'm going fairly deep into what the chiefs need to do there, what they can do, what they want to do. Um, I hope you check it out. The, the Schwartz thing you mentioned, like that, that is an enormous domino. And um, honestly, I, I think if you talk to somebody inside the organization, um, I, I think they tell you that they need some time to figure this out. You know, uh, I don't think they know. And, you know, some of that is a medical part with Schwartz and, and also Eric Fisher on the left side. Uh, and then some of it is just, you know, sort of the sifting through various scenarios. So, you know, my sense is that the Chiefs are not going to be counting on Schwartz to be back, um, you know, or at least they won't get to a place of enough certainty to feel like, you know, when the official league year begins, and that's basically six months out from the regular from the season opener, I don't think they'll have the level of certainty required to feel like they can count on Mitchell Schwartz being their right tackle at 100% efficiency, what we've grown used to seeing from him. I just don't think they, they'll be able to get there. So um, it's a pretty wild scenario, to be honest with you, because like in week five, the Chiefs had every reason to believe that they were set at both tackle positions for years. You know, then Schwartz's back goes out, and now Eric Fisher's Achilles blows, and the whole plan needs to be re- reworked. And, um, you know, they can save about $18 million by cutting Schwartz and Fisher. And now I'm not telling you that that's what they'll do. I don't know that. But I am telling you that that's at least a starting point and, you know, the basis for how they'll talk about reworking some deals. You know, they expect Laurent Duvernay-Tardif back um, and Lucas Niang after those guys opted out last season. That'll help the interior, at least. And Niang did play some tack on college, but there's just there's a ton of work to do here. And I, I do feel confident saying the starting tackles in the 2021 season opener were not on the Chiefs roster in 2020. I think, I think we can be relatively sure of that. So, you know, before the Super Bowl, on this show, I told you that the Bucks' only path to winning was to pressure Mahomes a hell of a lot more than the Chiefs could pressure Brady. And right now, I'm telling you that if Brett Beach's front office can navigate what is, <laughs> I mean, it's a crisis on the offensive line. If they can navigate this and come out stronger for it in 2021 than they were in 2020, then I think we'll be talking about the Chiefs in a third straight Super Bowl. I know it's not entirely that simple. Um, I realize I'm probably being a little bit hyperbolic here, but in broad strokes, I absolutely believe that to be true. 
Um, okay, uh, one more Chiefs question before before we break. Hey, Sam, this is Chris in Lenexa calling a, a minute's question in to you. And, and this could last, this could go out about any week, so it doesn't have to be this week. Um, I'm reading today about Russell Wilson, and now everybody's trying to get him traded again. And when I say everybody, I'm mostly meaning seems like the media kind of stirring it up a little bit on these quarterbacks all over the league. And, and you know, we, we've had other big-name quarterbacks that all kind of talk about getting moved. And we all assume that Patrick's going to be here for 10 years. Are, are we naive to think that? Sam, are, are we like one bad season sometime soon from, you know, Andy retiring and – and everybody all of a sudden putting out rumors that Patrick wants to go play for the Cowboys and blah, 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 blah. Are we kind of naive here not to think that's a real possibility down the road after Andy retires? Hey, have a good weekend, Sam. So um, I do think that there's generally a little too much comfort about Mahomes making the Chiefs like automatic Super Bowl champions or at least contenders for the next 12 seasons or whatever. Um, I don't think we need to go that far back in NFL history for examples, right? Like, and the Seahawks, and you're mentioning them, like they might be the best one. They won a Super Bowl with a 25-year-old quarterback. And when they got back to the Super Bowl the next year, there was a lot of talk of them eclipsing the Patriots as the next dynasty. Um, you know, then Pete Carroll calls a pass on first and goal, and the Seahawks haven't been past the division round since. So um, the Packers, another good example. They, they won the Super Bowl, and then the next year they, they go 15-1. and one. Um, Chiefs fans, of course, will remember that the Packers only lost that year was, you know, Romeo Cornell's first game as interim coach. But, you know, either way, the, the Packers team, they, they got blowed out in their first playoff game and they've had a lot of weird and kind of unnecessary infighting and no Super Bowls in the decades since it happened. So all of that is absolutely on the table for the Chiefs, right? Uh, Patrick Mahomes would not be the first star quarterback to never quite live up to what people projected on him at 25. But I I think we're at sort of a threat level of yellow or whatever on that, like for a lot of reasons. Like Andy Reid, he's going to be 63 next month. And I'm not telling you he's going to coach another 20 years, but I am telling you that he has waited his entire life to coach a quarterback like this. And and now that he has it, he's going to coach as long as he possibly can. Um, you know, the skill position and stars are in place and under the kinds of contracts that would give you like some level of certainty. Um, whatever level that's possible in the NFL, right? But some level of certainty that the Chiefs will at least be among the favorites for the next few years. Um, after that, who knows? But, you know, pull back a little bit more, right? And, and I think what you see is a quarterback who is uniquely gifted, first of all, not just <laughs> all these like he's the next Mahomes or he does this like Mahomes. It kind of cheapens what I think Mahomes really is because you've heard me say this before, but I absolutely believe it to be true. Um, he is so talented that if he was just av- if if he was of average intelligence i think he'd be a really good quarterback and he is so smart that i think if he had average physical tools for an nfl quarterback i think he'd be really good then you add on just this assassin kind of competitiveness and focus and he's just he's special if everybody was available in a draft in the nfl patrick mahomes would go first there's no question the only question is is who would go second you know and so 
when you have that quarterback, that's a hell of a place to start, right? Um, but he is also as all in as a human can be on like team and on building, you know, the best group possible around him. Um, you know, that contract, half billion dollars, like <laughs> the Mahomes family does not have to worry about like where their next meal comes from, right? But that thing is structured in a team-friendly way. I'm just telling you guys, that that is a cold fact. It is structured in a team-friendly way. And, you know, you have a front office and especially a general manager they see football decisions based largely on a sort of litmus test about what is best for their quarterback. So we have like this this franchise that is almost like comically starved of a franchise quarterback for 50 years, right? And now they have the NFL's best player at the most important position. I mean, like sh- short of just an abject incompetence in this front office or just a complete personality and value shift from the quarterback – um, that we have no reason to believe is coming on either of those, right? Uh, I'm just not sure how this thing really blows up. But, um, you know, the point you make, again, it's a smart one because, you know, a lot of why this works here with this group is that the relationships are so strong. Um, you know, between Mahomes and Reed in that front office, there is a sort of like next level mutual respect and an acknowledgement that each one makes the others better. And, you know, that trickles down throughout the roster, uh, starting with Travis Kelsey and Tyron Matthew and going all the way down. So, you know, that's the part of this that has to be protected at all costs. And that's the part that was allowed, like, by whatever means to erode in Green Bay and Seattle. So it'll be a hell of a thing to watch over the next years and decade, right? Like, this is the, the defining story of modern Kansas City sports, really. Um, okay, uh, one more break, and then we will be back with some actual real baseball players doing actual and real baseball things. Baseball, baseball, baseball is happening. Um, you know, like of all the things that Patrick Mahomes has done for Kansas City the last few years, we probably don't talk enough about the timing of him starting to play quarterback here. It just gave us something to talk about when the Royals just stunk out loud for the last three seasons. So, you know, thanks for that, Patrick. But I'm telling you guys this, like there is more excitement around this team, like front office coaches, players, all of it than there has been in four years. More legitimate reasons to be excited too. I'm not making the case like the, the Royals are not a turnkey contender or anything. I'm not saying that, but you know the lineup is deeper than it's been, and with a diverse set of skills too. If you think about it, like Jorge Soler can lead the league in home runs, right? Um, Whit Merrifield can lead the league in hits. Mondesi can win a game with his legs or glove or bat. Hunter Dozier can shift things in the Royals' favor. Andrew Benintendi is going to hit a lot of doubles and play some good left field. Carlos Santana is going to be on base. Salvador Perez just had his best offensive season. Uh, Nicky Lopez is one of the better defensive second basemen in the game. And, and Michael Taylor has the potential for some pop and can cover a lot of space in center field. So, I mean, you know, on and on, like, you understand what I'm, the, the point I'm making here. So, um, you know, this is legit. This is not just like, you know, in the best shape of my life kind of stuff. So, um, you know, anyway, here's uh, here's Mike Matheny, Royals manager, talking from Surprise, where pitchers and catchers reported this week. I just can't tell you the excitement. You feel a buzz in here. I wish you guys were around here because you would sense it too. You really would. It's not just some sort of, you know, 
company line here. Um, you, you can tell that, that, uh, that they're, they're looking around. We just watched 22 bullpens a few minutes ago, just in uh, the stuff that we're seeing on those mounds. Uh, it's, it's advanced, even for some of the young guys. And you put that in place and in, in line with some of the things that we watched our guys improve to do last year. My favorite line right now, it's a great time to be a Royal. So let's be real here too, right? Like there are 29 other clubs talking about how excited they are for spring training, right? Strong finishes from last year are going to carry over now. And, you know, struggles last year have been addressed and fixed. Like, you, you know how this goes. But um, there's a reason um, that the last few years I have not been telling you that the Royals would be good or even interesting. Like, you know, the reason is that I like you and I respect you and I want you to do the same in return. And uh, lying to you is a pretty dumb way to go about that. So anyway, I, I hope you know I'm sincere when, when I'm talking like this. It, it, here's one more clip from Matheny that we'll play, and I think it captures the mood that uh, that I've been sensing from some in the front office uh, the the entire offseason too. I just I'm excited about, um, you know, I, I think that that word excited has been used a lot. I know they quoted Benny a number of times, uh, but I, I think that's pretty consistent across the board. Um, every move we made, whether it was Michael Taylor early. Uh, then it was on to uh, Santana and Mike Miner. We get Holly back and bring him back Wade. And obviously, um, Benny here more more recently. Um, every time you could hear, and, and I, my phone was blowing up with some of the players like, oh, yeah, that's a, that, that helps us. Here we go. And it's just kind of that momentum. Uh, we talked about that earlier today. Just the, the, the momentum, I think, is a great is a great phrase right now because uh, there were so many positive things that our, our guys did, whether it was the young pitchers that Lynn brought up um, or a number of the position players that just kind of solidified to themselves. You know what? I belong here. And then more importantly than anything is how, how that group, you could sense it, you could hear it. Um, when we walked onto the field, that last part of the season, they, they saw good things happening instead of, walking out there with doubt. And that's an easy trap for any player to fall into, let alone a team with so many young players. And so there was a, a lot of things that you saw in the internal development and the physical development. Um, and then the organization uh, really does an amazing job of bringing in some pieces that are going to help us take that next step. And it just continues that momentum. Look, the, the Royals have some problems to solve, right? Like they are in a loaded division, first of all. So, you know, their their flaws will be exposed. Um, they're also jumping from 60 games to 162. And I realize like so is everybody else. But the Royals are doing it with a lot of young pitchers who are vulnerable to breakdowns. And, you know, one of the few things that all 30 clubs can agree on is that pitchers, especially young pitchers, should not be taking big jumps in workload or else you run the danger of, you know, ruining their arms. Well, Brady Singer led the Royals with 64 innings last year, and they'll want 100 more than that from him now. Um, you know, similar stories can be told with Chris Bubich, with Daniel Lynch, with Brad Keller, with all these guys. So now between like spring and summer training last year and, you know, kind of these prescribed workouts that the Royals gave guys, um, you know, between... You know, a lot of them, um, a lot of these, these, the big names that people are talking about, Singer, Lynch, Bubich, those kinds of guys, uh, I think the Royals would say they got the equivalent of like 140 innings or so, you know, maybe more. But, you know, the Royals also know that 140 innings, when most of it is, you know, sort of glorified extended spring training or bullpen sessions at home or whatever, 
Like that is just not fundamentally, that is just not the same as 140 innings when most of it is against like the White Sox and Twins and Yankees. You, you understand what I'm saying? So, you know, the, the Royals are going to have to navigate that. And they're going to have to hope that, you know, like Mondesi, for instance, is more like the guy he was in September when legit he may have been the best player in baseball in September. And, and you know, they want him to be that and not the guy he was in July and August when legit he may have been the worst hitter in baseball. Um, it is a really staggering season he had. We're going to talk a lot more about this during the spring and uh, and it's something to keep uh, keep an eye on during the during the regular season as well, obviously. But, you know, especially like it, this thing was not a fluke on either end. Right. Like if you look a little deeper, um, advanced metrics, exit velocities, all that stuff. Like, I mean, it, it just was not a fluke. Like he was absolutely awful and deserved to be awful for two months and then absolutely incredible and deserved to be incredible for a month. Like I, I just I, I wish we had 102 more games last season for a million reasons. But, um, you know, watching him, watching what he would have done with that time uh, is, is right there at the top of the list. So, look, I, I guess, um, you know, that kind of fits the point that we're making here. Right. Like that the Royals are giving us a heck of a lot more reasons to watch and be interested this season than they have in years. And uh, I know I've said this before, but generally I, I think it makes sense to expect the Royals to play well, you know, for two months, three months, four, maybe five, whatever, and, and then struggle as the stakes go higher and a lot of guys, you know, play 162 games for the first time. So, um, you know, there's a chance at the playoffs in there, especially if it's an expanded field. Um, and, and the Royals should be thinking and talking that way. But either guy, e- either way, like this is just this is a group that should be able to hold interest through the summer. Um, you know, baseball is back. Uh, season openers in 41 days and, you know, it'll be in Kansas City and fans will be there. I, I can't wait, man. It's going to be great. So, OK, that's the show this week. I, I appreciate you guys listening. And um, as always, I hope we're worth your time. Big thanks to Savannah Smith for putting this together and the biggest thanks to you for listening and for letting us be a small part of your life. Um, So let's do it again next week. Have a great weekend. Be kind.